Father, it's your breath in our lungs. We worship you and we praise you. You are holy and you are worthy, God. There is none like you. Lord, we acknowledge your greatness today before we continue to move on. We acknowledge, Lord, that even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of tribulation and pain, God, that you are great and greatly to be praised. And so we praise you and we worship you and we honor you, God. And we thank you, Father, for all that you do. Lord, I pray that as we get into the word today, that you, Lord, would work in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would come and and do work of renewal, Lord, repentance, God, and transformation. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. It's good to see all of you. Um, For those of you that don't know me, maybe your first time here, I'm the pastor at Zion, and I welcome you. I want everybody to give a big wave. Good to see all of you. <laughs> I love it. That's just me testing to see if, if I'm, my mic is working, essentially. I just <laughs> make sure we're all hearing me. Uh, so today I am going to pray that my notes don't fall off of my music stand, and uh, we'll hope everything goes well. The sermon title for today is True Righteousness, and we are going to be in a scripture that has been one of my favorite scriptures uh, since the time I was 18. I remember praying through this scripture, um, however many years ago that is now, and this stuck in my heart. It's just one of those scriptures that every time I come back to it, I remember what God has done and how he has worked through me in this. Uh, And so I'm excited to preach on it today. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And uh, what's really funny about this passage is that last week it seemed like Paul was kind of coming to a conclusion in his sermon, usually, or in his letter. Usually what he does when he's concluding a letter is he talks about uh, all the different uh, people that he's writing to, gives some greetings. So he does that last week, but then he he drops in chapter 3 on us before he gets back into the greetings. And some scholars actually believe that Paul was about to finish his letter and then was like, you know what? I'm going to add this part and how glad I am that he does this. Uh, And so we're going to be working through chapter three over the next few weeks, which I'm excited about because it is so meaty and there's a lot to pick apart and to apply to our life. Uh, And if uh, you want to follow along, I'm about to start reading scripture. You can text 97,000. You can text outline uh, and you'll get the link. You can read the scripture. We're going to be in Philippians chapter three, verses one to 11. Uh, And I'll start off just reading verses one to us. Verse one, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Basically, Paul starts off this dialogue he's about to go into in this letter. And he says, you know, I know I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you it again. Uh, And, you know, I just want to be on the safe side. I know I've said it before, but I'm just going to be on the safe side and I'm going to repeat it for you again. And so he begins to repeat what he says. And so we we can look now at verses two. We'll read to verse six. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision. The church is the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So what Paul is getting at here, if you read his letters, you see that he is at constant war with this group called the Judaizers. And what they would do is after Paul established a church, they would go back to that church after Paul left and they would confuse the church and tell them, hey, guess what? I know Paul told you that it it was the righteousness of God comes by grace, by faith in Christ alone. Uh, But Yes, you need to have faith in Jesus, but there's something else you need to do. You need to follow the law. Because when Paul would go to the different cities, what would happen is he would start off in the synagogue. He would see some Jews usually would get converted, sometimes not. Uh, But there would be a riot. They would kick him out. They wouldn't want him to speak anymore because of the, the things that he was saying. Sometimes it was blasphemy to them. And so after he would get kicked out, he would go and he would preach to the Gentiles and the Gentiles would get saved. And what you would see is that the Jewish people with all of their customs were now Christians. And then the Gentiles would come in and there were a lot of things that the Gentiles didn't do that were part of Jewish customs, but were no longer needed. And so what would happen is these Judaizers, they would come in uh, and they would say, well, Gentiles, not only do you have to convert to following Jesus, but you also have to convert to being a Jew. And they would give all these things that they would have to do, you know, follow the ritual the eating laws, the food laws, circumcision, all these things that they would have to do to not only follow Jesus, but also to become culturally a Jew. And Paul wants nothing of this. He vehemently opposes these people and he is tired of them coming constantly into the church and teaching after he leaves because what they are teaching essentially is a false gospel. It is a false doctrine and it leads them away from the truth. And what they're saying is that it's works of the law and faith in Jesus that will bring salvation. But Paul's constantly driving this home, that it is not works of the law and salvation or and belief in Jesus. There's one thing that we need to obtain righteousness, and that is belief in Jesus, nothing else. We don't need to get circumcised, thank God. We don't need to follow the food laws and the rituals, all of these things. We don't need them. And so in this passage, basically, Paul takes their own terminology, the terminology that the Judaizers use, he flips it on their head, and he destroys them in argument after argument, um, and shows that if anybody was going to stand on the merit of following the law and their Jewishness, nobody was going to be Paul and his testimony. But instead of us reflecting on that, what I want us to do, uh, I I could kind of go into all the intricate ways that Paul destroys their argument, but instead I want us to focus on how it is still possible for us today to hope in our own righteousness. How it's still possible for us today to hope in our own righteousness. Because we could possibly... Uh, look at this and think, well, obviously we don't need to be circumcised. Obviously we don't need to follow the food laws and the rituals uh, to be saved because those things are far removed from our culture. They're far removed from us. But what I want us to meditate today before we move forward in, in chapter three is how we still 
many times hope in our own righteousness in order for salvation. This is still an issue in the church today. It may look very differently than what Paul was talking about, but we still find it to be an issue in the church today. We see it manifested in our prayers. We see it manifested in our anger. We see it manifested in how we view our relationship with God. And so there's a few things that I wrote down that I think we can meditate and ask ourselves, do we find our righteousness in Christ to be caught up in other things rather than a beginning point of our faith in Jesus Christ. So the first thing I thought about was mastery, which Paul writes as confidence in our flesh. When you master a sport, I was thinking about sports, when you master a sport, if you've ever mastered a sport, I don't know if I go so far as to say I've mastered a sport. Uh, The closest I've gotten to mastering any sport was ping pong. Uh, And then I met Joel and he destroyed me in ping pong, but that's another story. Uh, but I, I love I love ping pong, and what happens when you, when you master a sport, uh, you get this muscle memory. After you practice for hours and hours and hours every single day, over time you build up muscle memory, and you start doing things that you didn't consciously think of doing. They were subconscious, and so you start to become very quick. You see this in basketball, football, any type of sport, soccer. And what happens when you begin to master something, you gain confidence in it. You gain confidence in your ability. You know what you're capable of. You know what you can do. You know, um, you know how good you are and how as long as you, you know, continue these regiments, your mastery continues. Uh, but the actual opposite happens in Christianity. So this understanding of mastery actually works against you as a Christian. The thing about Christianity is you will never master it. You won't come to a point uh, that you don't need to grow anymore in your Christ-likeness, or you don't need to grow anymore in your love or your depth or your knowledge of Jesus and the Lord. You won't master it. And the problem is that when you think you do, that sets you up for failure. You will always be in desperate need for God. And when you think, well, you know what? I got this down. I know the rhythms, I know the things I need to do, I know the places I need to go, I know the things I need to say, I'm good, I don't need to grow anymore, I don't need to learn anymore. What happens is that sets you up for failure in your relationship with God. That is the moment that you begin to fall off the cliff because you have walked away from your desperation of God, which we know is something that we need to keep with us every single day because Mastering the relationship with God is not something that is ever possible when we are in our flesh. And so Paul says it this way, don't ever have confidence in your flesh because you can't ever master it while you are alive in your mortal body. The second thing that I think we see our own righteousness in is when we take credit for God's work. I've seen this happen a lot in my own life where I have, I've prayed often about something and I've seen God answer my prayer. Maybe it's a bad habit of mine. Maybe it's just something that's ugly in my heart. And I see that thing start to go away. And I think, you know what? I don't need to pray anymore. I'm good. Why? Because I've gotten really good at controlling this thing. I've gotten really good at keeping this under control. I've gotten really good at not thinking about this or not doing this. So I don't need to pray as often. I don't need to go to that place as often. And and I'm I'm actually really, really good at this. I I think I'm I'm growing this. I'm better at this. I've 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 really learned my lesson here. And so what happens is we 
we forget that it took constant prayer to be at a good place in our life. It took constant abiding with God. It took constant being in the word. And then when things start to get better, we think, okay, I'm doing really good. And we take the emphasis off of prayer. We take it off of God's word. We take it off of the spirit of God. And we begin to place it on ourselves. And we look at our own heart and say, well, I have done well. And that I comes in. And then what happens is we stop praying. We stop abiding with God. We stop being in the presence. We stop just pouring over scripture and letting it pour over us. And when that happens, when I stop praying little by little, I go back to my own way, my old ways, because what I'm doing is I'm going before God and saying, actually, it was my righteousness now. It's my good deeds. It's my things that I have done that are making me good instead of realizing, no, that it's my daily faith in Jesus and abiding with him. Another thing that I think that we do a lot is we substitute our relationship with God with activities for God. We substitute our relationship with God for uh, for activities for God, right? And um, like I, I think of, and sometimes this is why I get scared when we make Sunday service so fun, you know, and uh, and, and we get all of the attractions, all the amenities of Sunday service, because I think a lot of people are fooled into their relationship with God thinking, well, I go to church on Sunday, so that means I am good. Well, what you're doing at that point is you're putting a, a works-based mentality, a works-for-righteousness mentality in your relationship with God, and you're telling God, my, my starting place is as long as I am I am doing this for you, God, I'm going to church for you, uh, I'm I'm good. As long as I serve in all of these ministries, I mean, look at my resume. Look at all the, the things that I have done. I mean, I've, I've been a part of this ministry. I've been a part of that ministry. I've been a part of that thing. I've been, I, I, I did this. I served this person. But the, the question is not, have you attended church faithfully? The question is not, have you joined eight dif- different ministries? The question is, do you follow God? Do you follow God? Do you have faith in Jesus for everything that you do in life? When you start looking in, and substituting your relationship with God for ministry activities for God, what happens is you, you start to take a place of, of this building up your own righteousness, building up what my next point is, is a resume for God. And, and when we do that, what happens is we say, well, you know what? You know, like I, I've been a part of the sound ministry. I've been a part of the kids ministry. I've been a part of the ushering ministry. I've, I've been a part of the outreach ministry. And I, I've done all of these things. You build up the, the greatest Christian resume, much like Paul's Jewish resume. And then entitlement starts to settle in and is not far to, far away. And you say something like, man, God, I've been saved for, for 10 years. I've been saved for 20 years. I've been saved for five years. I've served you in, in, in this ministry. I've served you in, in that ministry. I, I should have been over this already. Uh, you should have given me this already. And when we do that, we look at a self-righteousness and we look at God and we say, in, instead of the grace as a gift you give me, I look at the things that you owe me and that you deserve 
to give to me and I become entitled. And when I don't get those things because my entitlement says I should have those things, I get bitter and I get angry. And I've seen this happen to Christian after Christian after Christian. They've been in the church year after year and they've only been told, go to church on Sunday, pay your tithes, join the ministry. And if you do all those things, you are good. But they are never told that it is not the works that God wants as the first starting place, as the cornerstone of their faith, that it is Jesus and it is Jesus alone faith in him that should be the cornerstone where all of the other things come out of. And so we spend so much time building our resume because in the corporate world, we're told that we are nothing without a good resume. And instead, we, we, we do this also in the church instead of putting our faith first and foremost in Jesus. And, and instead of looking at our faith as our starting point, what we do is we bring our resume to God. We say, God, I've done all this. I've did all, I've done everything that you've asked me to do. Now give me what I want. Give me what I deserve. The only gift that we need to be grateful for every day until the day we die is the gift of salvation. And if it, that isn't the only thing that we are grateful for, if that doesn't bring us joy every single day, then we can start looking in our own hearts and saying there is self-righteousness building up. There's entitlement building up. There's a resume that I'm looking at God and saying, God, you owe me more. I'm entitled to more than just this. Don't build a resume of self-righteousness. Throw it out. Get on your feet and Weep before Jesus in repentance for the ways that you have thought you deserved more than the already amazing gift of grace that you have been given. Listen to what Paul says about self-righteousness in his own life. It's important. We're going to read in verses 7 to verse 9. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. All the things of his past, Paul says, are garbage. They're dung compared to gaining Christ. Now, when I say that, you may, you may think this. You may think, well, yeah, all the, all the bad things I've done are nothing. All the bad places that I used to go to, of course, they are nothing to gaining Christ. I, I always felt bad after doing those things. I always felt worthless after doing those things. But now that I have Christ, it, those things, I, I see, my eyes are open. Those things aren't the thing that brought me what I wanted. Those things aren't the thing that brought me the, the peace and the joy. Those things aren't the things that I, I was proud of. Those are the bad things of my life. We're, we're really, I think it's really easy at this point to, to compare the grace of God to all the bad things that we used to put in our life and say, well, there's no comparison. But if that's the only comparison that you're making here, then you're misreading and misunderstanding what Paul is talking about. What he is saying is more like this. What are the greatest things that you've done in your life? What are the things that you are most proud of in your life? Was it starting a business? Was it making that promotion and, and seeing that paycheck increase? 
Was it graduating from school and getting your degree? Was it being a, a good student, being a good kid? Was it never stealing? Was it never killing anyone, never making it to jail? What, what were the greatest accomplishments that when you look back at your life, you say, I am proud of this, I am proud of that, and I am proud of this. Paul says whatever it was that he did that he may have been proud of, it is now meaningless. It is now meaningless before the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So don't only bring the bad things of your resume and say, well, of course those things, I don't want those anymore. Of course Jesus is greater. But bring the greatest things that you have ever done, the greatest things that you would put on your resume that you would give before someone to say, these are my biggest accomplishments. These are the biggest things I'm proud of. And then look Look at what Jesus offers and the righteousness that he gives and the goodness that he gives and say all of those things that I thought were great, that I was proud of, that I was so happy about, all of those accomplishments, they are filthy rags before the righteousness of God. They are filthy rags. When I compare the purity and the cleansliness of the righteousness that Jesus gives me, and I look at the old things that I used to be proud of, when I look at the old things that I used to be happy about, when I look at the old things that I used to, I, I couldn't wait to bring it up and tell somebody about. When I compare those things that I thought made me good, that I thought made me worth something, that I thought made me important or powerful, when I compare those things to the righteousness and the goodness that God gives me, those things are nothing before his presence. Those things are filthy before him. Those things cannot compare. The, the things that I thought were shiny when I hold it up to the righteousness of God, all of a sudden they look dull. They look dirty. They don't look as shiny and nice as I thought they used to be. Your old life doesn't just include the bad things that you've done but the best things that you've done too. It all gets wrapped up and it looks like filthy rags when compared to gaining Christ and the righteousness that he gives. Why is this? It's because when you are found in him, you no longer have a righteousness that is your own. Self-righteousness, however hard you tried to obtain it, no matter how good you were, will always be stained by your imperfection. It will always be stained. It will always look dirty when compared to the righteousness that Christ gives. This righteousness does not come from works of the law. It does not come from following rituals. It comes by faith. It comes by faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Faith in Jesus must be the starting place for your righteousness. Faith is looking at all of the things you could have ever done, looking at all of the things that you could have been confident in yourself about, your good grades, your good job, your good looks, your good upbringing, and saying all of those things are worthless in the sight of Jesus. The reason why faith is looking at all those good things and realizing their worthlessness before the presence of Jesus is because otherwise the opposite happens in your life. What happens is, is your righteousness becomes the starting place of your faith. Your righteousness becomes this, God, I believe in you because I was able to win this game. 
I was able to get this money. I was able to do this good thing. I was able to fix this problem. I was able to do this good deed. And so I believe in you because of that. That faith is actually not faith in God, but faith in self. And will crumble and it will lead to destruction. Instead, it must be like this. Because I have nothing good to offer, I believe in you. That is a faith that leads to righteousness. Because I have nothing good to offer, I believe in you. That should be the starting place and is the starting place for true righteousness. That kind of faith creates a longing in our heart for Jesus like no other. When we realize that we literally have nothing and everything else is worthless, the only thing that is left for our hearts to do is to long after the righteousness of God, to long after relationship with Jesus, to long after being in the presence of the Holy One because you realize everything else, that you can have confidence in everything else, that you can have righteousness in everything else, that you can be proud of and boasting is nothing outside of Jesus. And that is the true starting point of faith. That is why faith in Jesus needs to be where we begin. Because having faith in Jesus is looking at everything else that is possible to make you righteous and saying all of that is worthless and compared to the righteousness and the purity of God. And so we will have no choice when we realize what true faith is, but to utter the same words that Paul utters next in verse 10. He says this, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. That I may know him. We have no choice but to utter those words that Paul utters, that I may know him. O Lord, that we may know you above all else, that the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, knowing everything else that we can do in our life is is meaningless, that the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus right now, God, that it would stir up longing in our hearts and desire for you. That we would come before you knowing, God, that all the other things that we have longed for are meaningless and cannot get us to the place that we truly long for, which is being pure and holy in your presence. God, I pray that that would be the cry of our souls. To long for you daily, to utter these words. To long for a relationship, to know you. To long to be in your presence. When we put our faith in Jesus, what happens is the power of the resurrection comes inside of us. The power, that power lives in us. We become acquainted with that power. We become acquainted with the power of the empty grave to see our hearts and our minds renewed and our old passions die. And the righteousness of Christ creates then from that point true good works in our life, true righteous deeds in our life. When we put faith in Jesus, the resurrection 
resurrection power of God comes inside of our hearts, transforms us, renews us, and the old passions, they begin to die. They begin to go away. They begin to have no more power, no more longing, no more desire over our hearts. Instead, the resurrection power begins to take over, begins to renew, transform, change. When we long to know Jesus, when we get in his presence, when we build that that relationship with him, the power of the resurrection begins to consume us and our hearts and our minds begin to change. And from that point, true righteousness that we can boast in, the righteousness of God, not of man, That is the righteousness that begins to ooze out of our life. But we cannot stop right there because I've heard this verse quoted so many times that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And people stop. They don't finish the verse. And we cannot stop at knowing him and the power of his resurrection because that's not where Paul stopped. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You cannot know Jesus unless you also enter into the suffering of Jesus. Suffering as a Christ follower is not meaningless. It brings us closer to our God. He suffered in such great capacities that when we suffer for the gospel, whether it's a loss of friendship, a loss of things that we like, pains in this world, what that happens is it is not for nothing, it is not meaningless, but it brings us closer to Jesus, deeper in our relationship with him. Because to know him is not only to know the power of his resurrection, but is also to know the fellowship of his sufferings, to know the pain that he went through, to know the burden that he carried, the hurt, the suffering. Do not shirk off suffering as something of this world to avoid, but embrace it to become like Jesus in his death. That whatever it takes, no matter how far you have to go, no matter what things you have to give up or walk away from, that as Paul says, that by any means necessary, by any means possible, that we would attain the eternal gift of God. Some of us have been holding on to our own righteousness, holding on to our former life, holding on to our resumes or mastery because you have forgotten about the beauty of Jesus. You have forgotten what it looks like to behold the righteousness of God because you have no choice when you behold the beauty and righteousness of Jesus to look at the own, your own things in your own life and say, those things are filthy. Those things are meaningless. Those things are unworthy of the presence and of the holiness of God. How dare I come before the presence of God and say that the things that I've done are good enough for me to stand before the holiness of the righteousness of God. But instead we have forgotten and we have brought our filthy rags before him and we have said, is this good enough for you? But when we behold the goodness of God, we look at the things that we have to offer and we say those are nothing before him. And instead we go and we look at his righteousness and we say, God, that's nothing I can get on my own. Only faith in you will bring that. And so I believe you now. What happens is the righteousness of Jesus comes in the form of his resurrection and in the form of his suffering. 
It overtakes our heart. It overtakes our mind and begins to renew, sanctify all that we are and true righteousness, true good works, true beauty begins to flow from a place of not our own works, not our own doing, not our own ability, but by the work that Jesus has already done, by the work of him bringing us into his presence and clothing us in his own righteousness, taking the rags that we brought to the party and throwing them out and saying, no, put on this, this cloak of righteousness. I encourage you to repent today. Come to him, bring your filthy rags of righteousness and trade them in for eternal glory. All the things that you were proud of, all the things that you were confident in, all the things that you said, this is what makes me me. These are the things that make me who I am, the things that I'm going to carry with me, the things I hope people remember me for. Take those things, those filthy rags, and bring it before him today and say, God, I repent. Help me to know you, that when I see the beauty of your glory, when I compare it to the worthlessness of the own, my own human-made glory, that I would trade them right now for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Can you pray with me? Lord, remind us that when we cling to the former things, we miss out on the glory of eternity. Help us right now as we enter into your presence, as your spirit comes, Father, into every single one of our homes and into our rooms. Lord, as your Holy Spirit engulfs us right now, help us to see the glory and the power of Jesus Christ. And that we would see what true righteousness looks like, the beauty and the purity of what you offer. Lord, that we would easily abandon everything else in our life, everything else that we have put faith in, everything else that we have put confidence in, everything that we thought we mastered, and that we would run before you right now, weeping before the throne, saying, Lord, have mercy on us. That faith in you would every single day be the starting place for true righteousness in our life. In Jesus' name I pray. Jess is going to lead us in a song right now, and I encourage you, as Jess is singing, to worship and go before the throne room. In Hebrews, it says that we can boldly enter before the throne of grace because we have Jesus who is there in our time of need. So if you are calling out to him right now, if you need him right now, know that Jesus is waiting to embrace you, cover you in his righteousness, receive you, and to wash you clean. And so let's enter into his presence together. Amen.